Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I am Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's day 704, and we are back in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 20 is what we have on tap for us today as we're coming uh, to the culmination, closer and closer to the culmination of the Gospel of Luke. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for almost two full years together in your word, day by day. We pray that you bless us as we look at Luke chapter 20 today. Help us to have wisdom and insight. Be our teacher, Holy Spirit. Write your word on our hearts. Help us to see Christ and to walk with him by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 20. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who was it that gave you this authority? He answered them, I will also ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent a third, this one also. They wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly, and show no partiality but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness 
and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able, in the presence of the people, to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without any children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die any more because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well. For they no longer dared to ask him any question. But he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. That is Luke chapter 20. And I said the narrative of the Gospel of Luke is moving toward its climax, toward its culmination at the cross. And what's happening in this chapter is some classic rising tension. There's definite rising tension between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. First of all, Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem earlier to the shouts of Hosanna and to the palms being spread on the road as he's riding in a colt, and they try to tell him to be quiet, but he says, even the stones will cry out if I'm quiet, if they're if these people are quiet, because Jesus had to be acclaimed as the son of David, as the long-awaited king, as he rode into Jerusalem. So he rides into Jerusalem, he's teaching the people in the temple, he's preaching the gospel, and, and, and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, they come up to him and they're saying, who are you and where do you get off? That's my paraphrase what they said like seriously he he wasn't ordained by anybody he wasn't trained by anybody he wasn't operating underneath anybody's authority 
tell us by what authority you do these things, or who is it that gave you this authority? Jesus, as we see throughout this chapter, is both wise and clever. Wise meaning he has knowledge and understanding and knows how, how to apply it to life to live well in a way that pleases God, but also clever in that he's able to dodge the traps that are being set by him again and again throughout this chapter. This first one was a straightforward question. Who is the authority? Who gives you your authority? And Jesus answers in a very wise and very clever way because his authority was the same as the authority of John the Baptist. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? He asked in verse 4. It's wisdom because he knows that the only right he has to do what he does is because he was sent by the Father with the Father's own authority. He also knows that John the Baptist was sent by the Father with the Father's own authority. It's clever because Jesus also knows that John the Baptist is very popular with the people and that the religious leaders fear the people and that's why they haven't arrested him yet. So Jesus is, you see here, both wise and clever. He understands the truth and he's walking in it to the glory of God, but he's also cleverly avoiding the trap. And so they say, we don't know whose authority it was. And he says, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. If they could not see that John the Baptist was sent with God's authority, they were not going to see that Jesus was sent with God's authority either. And then Jesus tells this very important parable. This is one of the most important and often overlooked parables in the Gospels. We have it in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke and all the synoptics. And it is this parable that basically is telling, telling everybody that the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from the Jewish leadership and is going to be given to others. That's the point of this parable. What had the Jewish leadership done? Well, throughout the history of Israel, the Jewish leadership had stoned the prophets, had mocked the prophets, had, had beaten the prophets, had locked the prophets in jail, had ignored the prophets. And now the son of God comes and they're going to drive him out of the vineyard and kill him out of the city, out of Jerusalem. And they're going to kill him. And God is going to take Verse 16 says, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now, here is the meaning of verse 16. I think it's pretty clear. He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. In AD 70, God comes in judgment against Jerusalem and against the religious leaders and destroys the temple and gives the kingdom of God, the temple, fully over to the church. The church is the temple of the living God. So that we're not missing what's being said. Jesus, when he's challenged and they say, surely not, in verse 17, he looks directly at them and says, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Right there in verse 17, He's quoting from uh, Psalm 118, which becomes one of the most important verses for the church, the early church. This was their understanding of what happened to Jesus. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected 
that has become the cornerstone. So the Jewish people, their leadership said, we don't want Messiah. We don't want this stone sent from God. We're rejecting him. They drive him out of the city and have him crucified under Pontius Pilate. So God takes the kingdom away from the Jewish leadership and gives it to the church. Now, some people call this replacement theology, the idea that the kingdom of God was Israel in the Old Testament, and that same kingdom of God, that same vineyard, that same temple, that same kingdom is the church in the New Testament, that the church has replaced Israel within the history of redemption. And a lot of people are offended by that and say, oh, replacement theology is terrible. I don't really like the name replacement theology because it's not really so much a replacement as it is the same kingdom was transferred from the Jewish leadership who despised and rejected it and is given into the hands of the apostles and the church. But Jesus teaches it right here in Luke 20. And the same parable is taught in Matthew and Mark. It is in all three synoptic gospels and it is clear biblical theology biblical theology teaches that there is one kingdom of god there is one king over that kingdom the lord jesus christ there is one way to come into that kingdom and that is by faith in jesus christ there is one living temple that god is building christ jesus is the cornerstone and we are all living stones that are being built into that one kingdom if this is one clear passage. If you want other clear passages, write these down. Go to Romans chapter 11 and look for what Romans 11 says about the olive tree. There's one olive tree and the natural branches were broken off so that wild branches could be grafted in to that one olive tree. And then Ephesians 2.20 and really the verses leading up to it, those who are far off, those who are near, are being brought together and built into one temple. And 1 Peter chapter 2, especially verses 5 through 9, talk about how Jesus is the living cornerstone, and we are living stones being built into a temple, the temple of the Lord. So this is biblical theology. There are not two peoples of God, Jews and Gentiles, Jewish people and Christian people. There's not two chosen peoples. There's not two temples. There's not two kingdoms. There's one temple, one kingdom, one people of God. In the Old Testament, it was known as Israel. In the New Testament, it's known as the church. Israel is what the church was in the Old Testament, and the church is what Israel was. But now in the New Testament, in the age of fulfillment, we went from promise to fulfillment, from type to reality, from shadow to to substance from a stone temple to a living temple that fills the whole world. So that is clear biblical theology. And there's a warning here about this stone, Jesus, the stone that the builders rejected that's become the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. What does that mean? Well, Jesus is the cornerstone. You need to fall on him and be broken. Our pride has to go. Our self-righteousness has to go. All of our pretense of self-sufficiency has to go. He has to be the cornerstone. We fall on him and we are broken in pieces. Our pride, our ego, our self-reliance, our self-righteousness shattered so that he is Lord. He alone is Lord. 
The alternative is that he's going to fall on us and crush us in judgment. So either we come to him in humility, repentance, and faith, or he comes to us in judgment. That is the very clear invitation of Luke chapter 20, verse 18. And then we get into this question and answer back and forth. And basically, Jesus here is showing that he's the smartest guy in the room, right? He, he is far wiser and far more clever than these scribes and chief priests and religious leaders who are trying to trap him. First, they try to trap him with this teaching about, about taxes. Are we supposed to give tribute to Caesar or not? And here's where Jesus very famously says in verse 25, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. In other words, Caesar has his kingdom. He has his currency. It's also under God's sovereign rule. But it's Caesar's kingdom. It's Caesar's currency. Go ahead and give it to him because it's not going to last. Where is Caesar today? Here we sit 2,000 years later. Where is Caesar? Dead, gone, buried in the dust, forgotten by most of humanity. And yet Jesus reigns over an ever-increasing kingdom. The kingdom of God never fails. Our heart loyalty must belong to God. But while we're in this world, we need to pay our taxes to the government because it serves God's purposes in a limited way with for a limited period of time. The Pharisees ask about the resurrection, giving this ridiculous setup of seven brothers and this woman. And the bottom line of what Jesus is saying is really, yes, there is a resurrection. Absolutely, there's a resurrection. But don't expect that resurrected life is going to be exactly like this life. So no marriage, no childbearing, no reproducing. The number of people who are resurrected in the new heavens and the new earth and are in the kingdom, that's the fixed number and will live forever. So there's no more reproduction, there's no more marriage, but but we will live forever. That's very, very clear. We will not only just live spiritually in heaven with God, but we will live in the resurrection with resurrected bodies. And then finally, Jesus turns the table on his questioners and asks them, why do you say that Christ is David's son? When the book of Psalms in Psalm 110 says, written by David, the Lord said to my Lord, that is Yahweh, the God of Israel, the Lord, says to my Lord, that is my master, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David calls the Messiah his master, his Lord. So he can't just be, can't just be the son of David. And we know Jesus is the son of David according to his humanity, but he's the son of God according to his deity. And the final word in Luke 20 is this warning against hypocrisy. Um, there are lots and lots of people in the world who love to make a show out of being religious. They want the world to admire them for how religious they are, how devout they are, how wonderfully spiritual they are, because it gets them a lot of attention and it gets them a lot of acclaim. But behind closed doors, they are vicious and selfish and calculating and cruel. And those people are going to come under God's condemnation and those people do not deserve our allegiance. So we need to beware. Beware, Jesus says. It wasn't just the scribes back in his day. You can see him on television. You can see their books for sale in the bookstores. You can hear their messages on YouTube and on podcasts and social media. They are selling something 
to make themselves rich and famous, and we need to steer clear of them and warn others about them as well. Well, that is Luke chapter 20. And what's the bottom line of Luke chapter 20? Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. And so the, re the real application for us is, have we come to Jesus? Have we humbled ourselves before him? Have we repented of our self-righteousness and our pride? Have we put our faith in him? And are we a living stone being built up into the temple, lined up with him as the cornerstone to glorify God forever? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, our Savior. Thank you for the perfect temple that you're building with Jesus as the cornerstone. Forgive us for our pride and our self-righteousness. Humble us and give us faith in Christ that we might align ourselves to him and not expect that he's going to align ourselves to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining me for Luke 20 today. Back to the book of Isaiah tomorrow. Have a blessed day in the Lord.